Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, January 24. Goodwin embarrassed and humiliated after Aberdeen defeat. Report by David Irvin. Embarrassed, humiliated and disappointed. Jim Goodwin admitted there was some serious assessing to do at Aberdeen after a shock Scottish Cup exit to Darvo. The Pitaudry boss watched his side fall to a 1-0 defeat at Recreation Park with the Ayrshire minnows more than worthy of running out victorious. Goodwin praised Darvo for the historic result, which goes down as one of the biggest in Scottish Cup history but admitted it has prompted serious concerns for his club. Extremely disappointed, embarrassed, humiliated. All of those things really, he told BBC Scotland. We have a bit of assessing to do, that's for sure. Asked if he'd spoken with Chairman Dave Cormack after the cup upset, with pressure mounting on his position, he added, No, I've not spoken to him. I was in the dressing room speaking to the players. However, Goodwin was complimentary of Darrell, even if he slammed his side's performance in the Monday night cup tie. He said, I don't want to talk about how bad my team's performance was. I want to congratulate Darvel. I thought they were excellent on the night, got their noses in front and defended for their lives. They thoroughly deserved their victory. Aberdeen looked to have levelled the scores in the latter stages, but for an offside call on Leighton Clarkson, replays showed the Aberdeen man looked to be well onside, but Goodwin refused to excuse his side's exit from the competition by blaming the dubious decision. He concluded, I am sure you guys have had plenty of time to watch it. I thought it was onside at the time, but we're clutching at straws when we're asking for decisions like that. We have come here as the Premiership team against a team who are many tiers below us, and we should have put on a better performance. It's as simple as that. If the goal was a good goal and it's been chalked off, that's a major disappointment. But, as I said, I think it would have been an injustice if that had happened because I thought Darvel thoroughly deserved to win the game. Report by David Irvin 
Evening Times Sport January 24 Darville Manager Lodge's Dream Shock Win Report by Johnny McFarlane Over the moon, Darville Manager Mick Kennedy admits his side's incredible win over Aberdeen is a dream for the club, but insists it was no shock. The tiny sixth-tier outfit from the West of Scotland League was given little hope by bookies and pundits alike, despite the Don's poor form of late. <coughs> Yet they stunned at Scottish football, with arguably the biggest shock in the history of the storied competition, and Kennedy revealed he has been laying the groundwork for the stunning win over the last week, building in his charges the psychological strength to win the day. He said, it's a dream. I said that to the guys in the team talk. It's not only our dream, but the whole of the community's dreams too. What an occasion for the club. I have believed in these guys and have been drumming it into them all week that they needed to believe and trust one another. That's the sort of ethos and culture we have. Togetherness and love and respect. But the most important thing was they believed in one another, and that's what we have been driving all week. It is remarkable what you can achieve. I said before the game we needed to start well and impose ourselves on the game. We did that, and we deserved to go in front. After that, we had to show the team spirit and get in the trenches together. I believed in this from day one. From the first time I came down here, I told the board that we'd build something special, that the town could be proud of over the next few years. That's what we have done. The players celebrated with understandable abandon at the end, having pulled off the miraculous win, given the experimental and financial gap between the two sides. But Kennedy admitted it's his job to burst the bubble and bring them back to reality. And he laughed. I need to bring everyone back down to earth for training this week for the game against Atherley on Saturday. Tonight they can enjoy it, but tomorrow they need to get back to work and get focused for training on Thursday. But it's a remarkable achievement. Report by Johnny McFarlane. Evening Times Sport, January 24 Nick Roger says, Forget the outside noise. DP World Tour players have never had it so good. I was reading something the other day about the benefits of having a positivity wall. Apparently successful folk in all manner of fields swear by them. So I thought I'd create one myself to replace my profanity wall, which I simply swear at for 20 minutes prior to writing this column. Anyway, what the self-help gurus suggest you do is stand in front of a mirror, say something positive about yourself, scribble it down on a bit of paper, then shove it up on said wall so you become energised inspired and motivated by a burgeoning assembly of rousing affirmations.
That's the theory at least. The reality, of course, is slightly different. As I gazed at the haunting reflection of my increasingly wizened visog, which is beginning to develop the same consistency of a perish balloon, my eyes became tormented by the kind of ghoulish vision of foreboding that was akin to a hallucinating Macbeth glimpsing the ghost of Bloomin' Banco. I was swiftly back at my profanity wall before you could hiss a withering expletive. Once I'd composed myself, I started to think that Keith Pelly, the chief executive of the DP World Tour, would be the kind of fellow who would perhaps embrace one of those positivity thingamabobs. He is, after all, a dynamic, thrusting type of chap who wears blue-rimmed spectacles and speaks with composed, confident, authoritative gusto. I could imagine him having little post-it notes with galvanising perils like see the invisible, feel the intangible, achieve the impossible, scattered around his Wentworth office. Or maybe he just stands and curses and mutters at a wall like the rest of us. You wouldn't blame him. The upcoming arbitration hearing, Pelly and his tour will square up to the outlawed live golf rebels who believe they have the right to play anywhere they like, is consuming plenty of the Canadian's time, much to his chagrin. On the other hand, of course, Pelly has lots to be positive about. This season's DP World Tour, for instance, boasts record prize money of over $144 million. To us mere mortals, it's a vast sum. In the madcap world of men's professional golf, though, it's like something cobbled together from a rummage under the cushions of a couch. Last week's 2023 curtain razor in Abu Dhabi was a Rolex series showpiece worth a whopping $9 million. Yet it attracted just one player, Shane Lowry, from the world's top 20. There's another $9 million person offer at this week's Dubai Desert Classic. While Rory McIlroy will sprinkle his stardust over the event, Norway's Victor Hovland won't be defending his title. As for the DP World Tour headline acts like John Ram and Matt Fitzpatrick, well, they are skipping the circuit's Middle East swing entirely. Big names of the European scene missing big events on their own tour is hardly new. The PGA Tour in the United States, where they ply most of their trade, will always take precedence, even more so now. But those absences may be more striking in 2023. While the strategic alliance with the PGA Tour has had plenty of spin-offs for the DP World Tour, the partnership is still weighted heavily in the former's favour for now. In the ongoing parrying and jousting with LIV Golf and its formidable financial war chest, the PGA Tour's creation of a series of elevated events 
worth at least $20 million to combat the Saudi-backed assault on the golfing establishment leaves the DP World Tour's own marquee occasions in the shadows. It's almost absurd to think that an event worth $9 million can now be viewed with the kind of shrugging indifference that Nadam Zahawi adopted when filling in his tax return. But that's the top end of men's professional golf for you, sodden with cash like never before. The general state of the DP World Tour varies depending on who you speak to. Last week European stalwart and now LIV golf renegade Lee Westwood stated that I'm not sure where the DP World Tour is now, while weighing in on the lack of leading world stars competing in Abu Dhabi. He added, if you'd have told me that I'd be playing in a $9 million tournament on tour, I'd struggle to believe you. But then if you told me there'd only be one member of the world's top 20 in the field, I'd think you were mad. While Westwood aired his concerns, others preferred to focus on the tour's emerging talent and abundant opportunities. The circuit cannot just pander to the top brass. It has a large and varied membership to look after. Playing on the tour ain't cheap. Biddling here, there and everywhere. Staying in hotels, eating egg and chips, etc. Means expenses alone can be £80,000 and upwards. The implementation this year of an earnings assurance programme with a guarantee of $150,000 for any player who competes in a minimum of 15 tournaments is a significant boon to the rank and file and new recruits. The global game in its fractured upper echelons continues to be embroiled in a battle for hearts, minds and wallets, while division and debate range. One thing that can be agreed on though is that those elite campaigners have never ever had it so good, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, January 24. Super Bowl dream ends for Scots. Report by Kevin McKenna. Scottish pair Graeme Gano and Jamie Gillan's Super Bowl run with the New York Giants has shuddered to a halt after crashing out of the NFL playoffs, losing 38-7 to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Arbroath-born kicking specialists were involved in the NFC divisional clash, but had little impact as the Eagles dominated from start to finish. Quarterback Jalen Hurts threw two touchdown passes, despite only completing 16 passes from 24 attempts and ran one in himself. In contrast, their running efforts totaled over 250 yards as Kenneth Gainwell led the way with 112 yards and a touchdown from 12 possessions. The NFC's top seed will now host the first championship game since 2017 when they defeated the Minnesota Vikings 
on their way to winning the Lombardi Trophy. Elsewhere in the division, the San Francisco 49ers remain in the hunt for a sixth Super Bowl triumph after seeing off the Dallas Cowboys. The 49ers battled to a 19-12 win over their rivals and will now travel to Philadelphia to face the Eagles for a place in the Super Bowl. Evening Times Sport, January 24. Gregor Townsend hails Finn Russell as an all-time great player. Report by Stuart Bathgate. To say that Gregor Townsend and Finn Russell have not always seen eye to eye would be a gross understatement. The Scotland coach may have played in Russell's position of standoff, but the mutual understanding which might have been expected to arise from that fact has often been conspicuous by its absence. Russell's decision to walk out of the national squad in 2020 was probably the most dramatic demonstration that not all was well between the two men. While more recently Townsend omitted the racing 92 playmaker from his squad for last year's Autumn Nations series, implausibly claiming that three other fly halves were in better form. At those times and at others, the pair's relationship has seemed to have reached breaking point, if not gone beyond it. It was therefore of serious significance when Townsend sat down at yesterday's launch in London of this year's Guinness Six Nations Championship and proceeded to praise Russell, not merely as one of Scotland's best performers of recent times, that much is self-evident, but as one of the greatest players from any country ever to pull on a rugby ship. The encomium from the head coach is no guaranteed that all will henceforth be harmonious between him and the 30-year-old player. But it does at the very least show that Townsend is willing and able to put any subjective clash of personalities to one side and simply appreciate the many virtues of a player upon whom, more than any other, Scotland's hopes of success depend in a year which will end with the Rugby World Cup in France. Said Townsend, he's one of the most skillful players to ever play the game, not just playing now, but to ever play the game. In that position, you've got to take a big role in the leadership of the game, and that requires work and preparation, and Finn does that. You've got to practice a lot of watching rugby and experience rugby, to know when to pull the trigger. And there's a lot of discipline that has to go into it to make the decision whether to offload or to kick. People change as well throughout their rugby careers and their lives. You're a different person at 20, 21 years old than you are at 30. Finn has had changes in life. He just became a dad for the first time. He's coming into his prime years. He's coming into that time where physically you're still able to compete and do what you want to do. But you have that knowledge of 10 years playing at number 10 and are aware of what a defence might look like 
after two or three phases. So it's a great opportunity for him, this championship, and obviously the World Cup too. After being left out of the squad in the autumn, Russell was eventually called up when Adam Hastings had to drop out through injury, and according to Townsend, he hit his best form straight away. The coach added, Finn was outstanding in the autumn. It was probably the best he'd played for Scotland in two or three years. He played at a really high level against New Zealand and gave an even better performance against Argentina. He was great around the group, like he always is. He's very good to work with. He's now at a level of experience where he understands the game and what defences are going to do. Physically, he's in really good shape. He had a week off for racing after Christmas, which I think will help him during the Six Nations because he does play a lot of rugby over in France. He'll be looking forward to the championship like we are. He is a very competitive player and this doesn't get talked about enough. He's a laid-back person and he's even laid-back on the field, but he's competitive. Sitting next to his coach at the launch, Scotland captain Jamie Ritchie agreed that Russell was an easy person to work with, as well as being a very conscientious one when it comes to doing his homework on the opposition. I would echo what Gregor said, the Edinburgh forward stated. He's not a confrontational character. He's not a controversial character. He's a great person to have around, a great person for the young guys to learn from, for us all to learn from in fact. He's really diligent in and around his analysis. He's always on his laptop watching training back and watching the opposition we've got coming up, looking for opportunities. The stuff you see at the weekends doesn't happen by accident. He's a great guy for us to have around the squad. Scotland's Six Nations campaign gets underway a week on Saturday with a trip to Twickenham to play England, reports Stuart Bathgate. Evening Times Sport, January 25. Cantwell insists he can deliver for Rangers. Report by Graham McPherson. Todd Cantwell believes he can deliver for Rangers and he has some previous on that front. Whereas the former Norwich City forward will be expected to provide goals and assists for Michael Beale's side, back in his native Norfolk, it was Christmas presents he was doling out to excited children in his hometown of Deerham. Cantwell asked if any of his social media followers would be interested in receiving a visit and a gift from him, and if so, to hang balloons outside their home. There was no shortage of interest, with the 24-year-old estimating he donated around 80 presents before the big day last month. Needless to say, he is not committing to doing the same in Glasgow, given how long it might take and the fact that he might not be welcomed as warmly at every door. But the gesture speaks to a young man who appreciates the hand he has been dealt in life and an awareness of the need to give something back.
He reasoned, sometimes footballers do not really realise the power they have to influence people. That's something I took great pride in at Norwich, being a lad who wanted to be the lad that I've become in many senses. Something like that is so powerful and moving for little kids and families going through tough times. To have someone knock on your door and give you a present like you see on TV can be what Christmas is really about. It's not about what you're given, it's about families and being there and making people smile. I think I've got a good appreciation of the position I'm in and how quickly I couldn't have been in the position I'm in. I've got a lot of friends who were with me in the academy who are not lucky enough to be professional footballers. If I was a little kid and a Norwich City player at that time knocked on my door to wish me Happy Christmas and give me a present, I'd have been the happiest kid in the world. I looked at it like that. I have always loved Christmas and it was something I thought long and hard about. And then I thought, why am I thinking long and hard about it? It was simple. I should just go and do it. So I did. It didn't always go to plan, however. He smiled. It was funny one time, as there were one house where the balloons were up for a birthday party. So that was a bit awkward. Cantwell knows the streets of his home village like the back of his hand, but admits to have lost his way somewhat in a football sense in recent years. Linked with moves to both Manchester clubs, Tottenham and Newcastle United, during a period when he was playing every week in the Premier League, the big money transfer simply never happened for him. Youth is still on his side, however, and he believes there is much more to come to him as he prepares for a possible Rangers debut this weekend. Any footballer would be lying to you if he said he doesn't want to play in the biggest stage, the Champions League, and didn't want to play for the biggest teams, he admitted. So it has been difficult at times, but everyone has a story for a reason. I definitely feel my best years are ahead of me. I think the Todd Cantwell that has been seen so far is probably a fraction of the Todd Cantwell that will hopefully come out. I know there is so much more I can bring and so much more I can do. I'm just ready to show that now. I have been around a lot of different players in my career and played with some of the very best in the country and I know exactly where I sit in terms of ability. So for me, it's just about getting that out of myself and being with a manager that allows me to do so. The last couple of seasons have not gone the way I wanted them to, but I can't take away what I did achieve. There was no hesitation about moving to Scotland either. The player taking the view that he would rather discover what it is like for himself than take the word of others. And he continued, Everyone's experience of things are different, aren't they? Someone might come to the league and say it's horrific, they hate it and don't want to be here. And someone could come and say it was fantastic, they loved it and it was so much better than they thought. For me, you've got to take your own experiences 
and look at it as a fresh challenge. I've got a real expectation to come here and do well. Report by Graeme McPherson Evening Times Sport, January 25 Ritchie hopes Glasgow and Edinburgh form can boost Scotland's chances. Jamie Ritchie hopes the recent form of both Edinburgh and Glasgow can help give Scotland an edge in the upcoming Six Nations. Glasgow have won seven of their last eight games in all competitions, while Ritchie watched on from the sidelines as his Edinburgh colleagues made it three wins on the spin with an impressive 20-14 Champions Cup win over Saracens on Sunday. Said Scotland captain Ritchie, Certainly for the guys who played in that game, it will be a definite confidence boost knowing there were so many England internationals in that Saracens team and we dominated them for most of the game. We will take a huge amount of confidence from that. Both Edinburgh and Glasgow have hit a bit of form coming into this tournament, so that can only bode well for our squad. Rich's sidekick off their campaign away to England a week on Saturday. But Twickenham no longer holds the same sense of trepidation for the Scots after they drew there four years ago and then followed it up with victory in 2021, ending a 38-year wait for success at the home of the old enemy. Results in recent years mean Gregor Townsend's team go into the tournament with a sense of expectation rather than hope. And Ritchie continued, Growing up watching Scotland, it was often hopefully, but for us now, we're confident that we can win every game we go into. For us, it's more about dealing with what comes along with that expectation in terms of criticism and scrutiny if you don't live up to those expectations. We'd rather have it that way though, because it shows the nation has belief in us that we can play well and win games. Evening Time Sport, January 25 Motherwell's future is in safe hands with David Clarkson Report by Graeme McGarry There may have been times during a tumultuous start to his first team management career that Stephen Hamill has pined for the relatively peaceful sanctuary of his old job heading up Motherwell's Youth Academy not that Hamill was ever one to be able to switch off from that role either, but having now taken the plunge into frontline management at Fir Park, it was important to Hamill that a project he has poured his heart and soul into for the best part of five years was being left in capable hands. With the appointment of his old model teammate David Clarkson, he is certain that it has been. Former Fir Park forward Clarkson, like Hamill, is well and truly in with the bricks at Motherwell and so recognises just how key the production of their own talent is to the club. Motherwell have rightly enjoyed a reputation over the years as a fertile breeding ground for young players and under Clarkson, Hamill is banking on that continuing well into the future. 
said Hamill. It's a massive role at the club. It's something we want to be known for. The academy, in my opinion, is the heartbeat of any good club. It's what we want to continue. When you look how difficult it is to recruit financially, we need to keep producing players from the academy. It is a pressure role that's so important for the club. Davy has been working with me for the last five years and hopefully he can continue doing a good job. All the work you do is in the background. I did it for five years and I'd bump into people who asked me what I was doing and how it was going. It was 13 hours a day, every day pretty much. You're constantly working with players, parents and the agents and everything you can imagine. It's very difficult to switch off. It's a role that goes unseen, but it's massive within the club. I still keep an eye on it. I pop down and watch games. I am obviously still very close with the staff and the young players there. It's obviously very difficult with the way things are right now, but it's not like I'm away and I don't care what goes on anymore. I put a lot of work and a lot of years into getting the academy to where it is now and I take pride in that. I feel I left it in a good place. We have some of the best talent in the country in the academy and we work hard to get it there. I'm sure David will continue it. Ironically enough, it was in the emergence of Hamill and Clarkson's peer group when administration through them and young teammates like James McFadden, Keith Lasley and Stephen Pearson straight into the first team, that much of Muddle's reputation for producing young talent emanated. In more recent times, the likes of David Turnbull, Alan Campbell, Chris Cadden, James Scott and Jake Hasty have made an impact at first team level before earning big moves elsewhere and Hamill feels the club are on the cusp of enjoying another golden generation. He said, We've seen a lot over the years, and there's more to come. Lennon Miller will be a big player for this club. Max Johnson is another one, and we've used the loan market to benefit us. That's the course we need to take in the short term, but the medium and long term future of the club is these kinds of players. Ewan Wilson is tracking in the same direction after six months at Albion Rovers. He's looking very good and will either be involved in the first team in the second half of this season or next season. That is the continued development we have here. That age bracket between 16 and 21 is so important. We have the reserve league and some clubs have colt teams but we have to look to exploit the loan market to our benefit. Clubs get good talents, but our players get first team minutes, and that stands them in good stead. All that is stuff that people don't see, but it will no doubt protect the medium and long-term future of this club. Report by Graeme McGarry Evening Times Sport January 25. Rangers host Barcelona Legends. Report by Chris Jack. 
Rangers have marked the opening of the new Blue Sky Lounge at Ibrooks by hosting members of their most famous team. The state-of-the-art restaurant and event space was launched earlier this month after a significant overhaul that saw the previous hospitality area completely revamped. Extra rows of seats, including some disabled access facilities, were added at the rear of the Sandy Jardine stand as part of the refurbishment at Argyle House, and Rangers welcomed the legendary Barcelona Bears to experience the Blue Sky Lounge as the heroes of 1972 were reunited once again. Captain John Gregg and scorers Colin Steen and Willie Johnson were among those present, and Stuart Robertson, the managing director, was pleased to be able to host the Ibrox icons. Said Robertson, We are absolutely honoured and privileged to have the Barker Bears with us to help us celebrate the opening of the new lounge. I think they are pleased to see the club being modernised and taken forward and not just standing still off the pitch as well as on the pitch. They are the guys who have won our only European trophy so far, so it is great to have them here. They have some fantastic stories and they mean so much to so many of the supporter base. There is a lot we can learn from these guys. You never stop learning when you talk to them and spend time with them. And they have some good stories, some funny stories, but there is always a message in the stories as well. It is a great privilege to get to spend time with them. We can take an awful lot from what these guys have achieved. Rangers announced plans for the Blue Sky Lounge last May as the Ibrox board continued their series of multi-million pound upgrades in and around the stadium. The restaurant, which is open seven days a week, boasts panoramic views of Ibrox and serves more than 300 guests on a match day. Greg said, It was a fine afternoon with old teammates in a great new restaurant. The boys were in fine form. The club has to invest in players, but investing in facilities fans can enjoy is also important. The Blue Sky Lounge is a high-quality and fabulous upgrade on the Argyle House boxes and it's really proving to be very popular and not only on match days. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, January 26 Asthma UK Scotland calls for better enforcement of pyrotechnics ban. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Joseph Carter, the head of Asthma and Lung UK Scotland, has called for the greater enforcement of the ban on pyrotechnics at sporting events following a spate of alarming incidents this season. Kick-off in the Edinburgh Derby match at Easter Road last Sunday was delayed because smoke bombs had been thrown onto the pitch by both Hibs and Hearts supporters. More smoke bombs were then set off by fans of the Tynecastle club after Josh Ginelli, 
had opened the scoring in the first half of the Scottish Cup fourth round game. Exposure to smoke can cause breathing difficulties in people who suffer from medical conditions like asthma, bronchitis and emphysema, and Qatar is concerned about the worrying trend. It has been illegal to take a pyrotechnic device into a stadium since the Sporting Events Control of Alcohol Act was passed at Westminster in 1985. Qatar wants to see clubs and the football authorities do far more to prevent their use before something serious happens at a match in this country. He said, smoke from flares and smoke cameras can stay in the air for quite a long time, creating areas of air pollution that can trigger asthma attacks or symptoms such as coughing, wheezing and breathlessness. With two in five people with asthma surveyed in Scotland saying that poor air quality, including smoke, can trigger their condition, we would like to see better enforcement of the ban of these items at sporting events. It is fortunate that no serious incidents have occurred for people with lung conditions such as asthma so far. The increased use of flares and smoke canisters at games only increases the risk of something serious happening in the future. David Hamilton of the Scottish Police Federation this week called on Scotland's clubs to do more to stop supporters using pyrotechnics inside football stadiums and warned they may have their stadium safety certificates taken away from them if they are unable to create a safe environment for spectators. And he said, what we really need is for the football clubs themselves to be much, much stricter on the use of pyrotechnics within grounds and search regimes to be much, much tighter. Sometimes they have not been as tight as they should be. I would also really like to see a clear and unambiguous statement from football clubs that pyrotechnics are absolutely unacceptable within grounds and that people found with them will get bans, if not life bans, if they are caught with them. We now have the legislation in place, which is helpful, but we need to see a renewed and invigorated response from the clubs. They have to make it clear there is no place for pyrotechnics in football. If the clubs are not going to take responsibility, then maybe we need to start looking at their ground safety certificates and asking if they are actually fit and proper organisations to be holding events like that. These certificates are there to ensure audiences can watch games in a safe environment. If you have got a proportion of your fans setting off flares and making it unsafe, and you are not pursuing them actively enough, then I would say there is a real question mark over the ability of clubs to be protecting people. That is a last-ditch resort, but our position is that everything should be on the table. What we need to see is clubs dealing very firmly with those who use pyrotechnics. There is a role here for clubs to play. 
People sometimes feel a bit cowed because it is big clubs, big money, and a lot of people are involved. But we need to get over that. People cannot be put at risk going to watch a game of football. They need to be able to do that safely. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport, January 26 Duncan Ferguson set to be named Forest Green Rovers manager. Report by Ewan Payton Duncan Ferguson is set for his first permanent gig in management. The former Dundee United Rangers and Everton star looks set to be handed his first opportunity as number one. The Times report that the Scots will become Forest Green Rovers manager. The EFL side are currently bottom of League One. It would appear that the stiff challenge of keeping them in the division has not put the Everton legend off the job. He has previous experience as a caretaker manager, fulfilling that role at Goodison Park on more than one occasion. It is claimed that Ferguson's appointment is expected to be confirmed later today, and he will have several former Scottish-based players to pick from in his squad. They include Regan Hendry, Dylan McGough and Charlie McCann, who joined the club in the past few days from Rangers. Meanwhile, Philip Hillander has points to prove to his manager, his teammates and his supporters. The biggest questions are the ones he must ask himself as he seeks to find the answers to salvage his career. The defender has become something of a forgotten man at Ibrox, but Michael Beale needs no reminding how good Hillander can be on his day and what an asset he could be to Rangers. It would be easy to write Hillander off as a lost cause, to thank him for the memories and wish him well for the future. Beale will not consign him to the scrap heap just yet, however. Report from Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, January 26 Glasgow study finds links with gambling adverts and addiction. Report by Stuart Patterson a new study has found that gambling advertising is linked to addiction. The analysis by researchers at Glasgow University and Sheffield University found that gambling ads are also having an impact on the behaviour of children and adolescents. They discovered that children and people already gambling too much are most likely to be influenced by gambling advertising. In Scotland, a number of football clubs, including Celtic and Rangers, have gambling firms as main sponsors. Campaigners are calling for an end to gambling adverts and sponsorship in football. The conclusion of the study was that gambling advertising restrictions could reduce harm and lessen the impact of advertising on gambling-related inequalities. It stated, Public health harm prevention strategies should include policies which limit exposure to advertising, particularly among children and vulnerable groups. On children and young people it found higher exposure to advertising 
is associated with higher gambling rates and severity. James Grimes leads Gambling with Lives, which runs the Big Step campaign, calling for a ban on gambling, advertising and sponsorship in football. Mr Grimes said, There is now an abundance of evidence that clearly links advertising to addiction, as the millions of us harmed by gambling already know. The gambling industry spends £1.5 billion a year on marketing, infecting our screens, our sports and our streets with a misleading representation of addictive gambling products. It has to stop. The public are expecting the government to impose tough advertising restrictions in the upcoming white paper. Anything less would be a betrayal to a generation of young people. The UK government is expected to publish its review of the 2005 Gambling Act within weeks, with measures to restrict advertising expected to be included. The Big Step said the gambling industry currently spends around £1.5 billion each year on advertising. According to Be Gamble Aware, there are up to 1.4 million people addicted to gambling in the UK and a government study found there are hundreds of gambling-related suicides every year. A House of Lords report into gambling harm found one-third of a million people are problem gamblers. On average, one problem gambler commits suicide every day. It found young people are most at risk and an estimated 55,000 problem gamblers are aged 11 to 16 years old. Report by Stuart Patterson. Evening Times Sport, January 26. Who is O and why did Celtic manager want him? Report by Graeme McGarry. Ange Postecoglou's penchant for trawling the lesser ploughed furrows to unearth transfer gems has turned Celtic supporters into expert sleuths over the past couple of years. As they look to gather information on the latest talent to come from a far-flung corner of the globe to Glasgow's East End. When it comes to South Korean striker Oh Hon Gu, who finally sealed his long-mooted move from Suwon Samsung Blue Wings to Celtic for a fee of £2.5 million, they will have found little but glowing reports. Oh travelled with his country to the World Cup, being named in manager Paolo Bento's original 26-man list as a contingency due to injury fears over starman Son. The Tottenham Hotspur striker recovered sufficiently from a fractured eye socket to play in Qatar, meaning that O was relegated to 27th man and would not feature during the tournament. So highly thought of is the 21-year-old though, that Bento invited him along anyway, recognising the experience would stand him in good stead for his inevitable progression 
into becoming a key player for his national side. Bento said, I have been watching closely O oh, for about a year. He impressed me a lot. He is a young player who has excellent technique and is a powerful predator in front of goal. His movement is excellent and he is fast. He is also physically very strong. All these attributes are exactly what good strikers need. O is also strong in the tackle too and reads the game well. It was not a snap decision to put him in the World Cup squad. I watched him personally at matches. Having observed him in the training camp too, it was clear that O fitted in very comfortably at that level. He scored 13 goals last season, and that's a good return at his age. When it was confirmed that Son was going to be fit for the World Cup, I explained the situation to O and told him he could come with us and be part of the squad, although he wouldn't be in the official 26-man list. He could have stayed at home, but decided to join us because it would be great experience for him, and I was delighted to hear that. His time will come soon for the national team. O has been earmarked as a straight replacement for the soon-to-be-departed Georgios Giacomakis, and in terms of the squad role he occupies at first, backup striker to Kyogo, that characterization is accurate enough. And as it can be seen in Bento's comments, most notably when it comes to references to his power, strength and technique in front of goal, he shares many common attributes with the big Greek forward. The most eye-catching of those qualities would be his ability to find the net, hitting 14 goals last season for a team who struggled on the whole over the course of their K-League 1 campaign. He is an aerial threat too, with six of those goals coming from getting on the end of set plays. There are other strings to O's bow though suggesting he can add something extra to this Celtic team that Giacomakis could not. For instance, though his preferred position is through the middle, O spent some time last season playing on the right of a front three. It is his ability to carry the ball that also allows him to be effective in wide positions, and that clearly makes him distinct from the other striking options Postecoglou has at his disposal. O managed 3.55 dribbles per 90 minutes last season, according to Y-Scout, while Kyogo has recorded 1.45 dribbles per 90 minutes this term, and Giacomakis just 1.02. Celtic manager Postecoglou certainly seems enthused by what his latest capture can bring to the party even claiming that O was his preferred option ahead of long-time target and the more experienced South Korean international forward Cho Gu Sung. What he is certainly getting in O is a player of huge potential who will bring new qualities to the Celtic attack in the short term and offers long-term promise in terms of the player he could become 
over the course of his five-year deal. Said Postacoglu, I have watched O for some time, and he is the striker I really wanted, as I think he will be a great fit in our squad. Really importantly, I know that he had his heart set on joining us, and that his own perseverance has been crucial in making this deal happen. So his determination to join Celtic has been very clear. We are delighted to bring O to Celtic. He is a young, talented striker with great attributes and someone who is ready to take the next stage in his career. A player who is hungry, eager to develop and to achieve success. We are really pleased to welcome him to the club and look forward to working with him and settling him into our squad. Report by Graeme McGarry Evening Times Sport, January 27 Perseverance pays off for Hutchin on Legends Tour Report by Nick Roger According to experts, or at least a quick search on Google, one of the toughest school exams in the world is a college entrance test in the Chinese education system called Geo Keo. By all accounts, it is harder than the Herald's cryptic crossword. But hang on just a second. These experts, or Google, have obviously never heard of the qualifying school examination for an over-50s golf circuit. Between the Champions Tour in the United States and the Legends Tour in Europe, only 10 players can make the grade, five for each tour, and earn playing rights among the golden oldies. You've probably got better odds of cracking open the vaults of Fort Knox with a pumice stone. It's a paltry amount from a vast global entry of hopefuls, so hats off to the intrepid Scotsman, Greg Hutchin, who finished third in the Q School test for the Legions Tour in Turkey earlier this week to earn himself a place among Europe's veteran elite. The well-kent Abadonian, a dominant and enduring force on the domestic Tartan tour, will reach his half-century just before the 2023 season tees off and is relishing the prospect of a new chapter in his sporting life. It's a lovely reward for Hutchin who served his apprenticeship alongside Paul Laurie in the Bankery Pro Shop over 30 years ago, chipped away at the coalface of the European scene for many a season, and suffered a career-ravaging injury in his early 30s. Amid golf's fluctuating fickle and fiendish fortunes, Hutchin had never lost his enthusiasm or competitive zeal. I suppose it's a story of perseverance, he said of a career which featured three European Challenge Tour wins and a mighty haul of home-based honours. I always kept trying and giving up was never an option. I continued because I simply love the game, even though it has kicked me in the nuts on many, many occasions. As all golfers know, this game makes you look silly every day. At some point you'll hit a bad shot, duff a chip, miss a short putt. 
But I've always loved the challenge of golf. Getting on the Legends Tour is a bit of a reward for the toil, and it's going to be a real honour for me to go out and play with some of these greats of the game. Having turned pro in 1991 and worked as the dog's body at Bankery, Hutchin would eventually earn a licence to tour the European circuit in 1998. It was an eye-opening experience, he says. You had the likes of Monty, Torns, Woozy, Seve and Faldo out there. I would walk on the range thinking, holy moly, this is a scary workplace. What am I doing trying to play with this mob? There were so many great players. Despite reeling off a trio of wins on Europe's second tier, Hutchin never established a sturdy foothold on the main circuit. An unfortunate shoulder injury caused by some innocent horseplay didn't help the cause. He said, A pal jumped up on my back when we were walking, but we slipped on ice and he landed on top of me, and I separated my shoulder. At the time, I felt I was getting to the point in my career where I could establish myself and at least become a decent European tour player, but that injury was a huge setback. Hutchin would slowly retreat from the European stage, although he still popped up now and again with occasional forays. Only last year, for instance, he played in six DP World Tour events as a reward for winning the PGA playoffs. In 2013, Manuel, he fired a fine 67 in the third round of the flagship BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth to surge into the fringes of the top 20 with a round to go. Reflected Hutchin, I drove in on the Sunday and realised that I could pay off my mortgage with one more good round. The potential for life-changing money was there, but it was a mistake to think like that, and I got two tens. Hutchin would sag to a closing 79. It was another case of golf's what-ifs, maybes and might-have-beens. Here in 2023, though, opportunity could come knocking again. Said Hutchin, I would have loved a main tour win, but fingers crossed, maybe I could do it among the old boys. You never know in this game. Report by Nick Roger Evening Times Sport, January 27 O reveals what he said to ensure Celtic transfer dream. Report by Graeme McGarry New Celtic striker O says it is a dream come true to have signed for the club, revealing how he pressured his manager Suwon Samsung Blue Wings to allow him to fulfil his ambition to join the Scottish champions. The South Korean international was introduced as a Celtic player after weeks of speculation, and he admits he was frustrated at how long it took for the whole process of his transfer to finally be completed. Now that he is in Glasgow though, he says he could not be happier, and he is determined to make a quick impact in his new surroundings saying he will not need a period of adjustment 
to get up to the speed of the Scottish game. O said, Every morning I wake up now, I feel so happy. When I first heard about the offer, I was so pleased. It took a long time to get things completed, which was quite difficult for me. But I am finally here, and it's what I always wanted. All I could do was give my all in training at my club and focus on that and let my agent deal with things. But when I spoke to my manager, I can summarise the whole conversation in one sentence. It was my dream to go to Celtic. I'm fit and ready to play. O believes that Celtic manager Ange Postecoglou's playing style and system can make the most of his attributes. And he said, I have watched Celtic matches. I think the manager's strategy is the same as mine. I like to chase the ball. The fans here are also very enthusiastic and that is also something I am looking forward to experiencing for myself. I saw their reaction to goals being scored and that made my heart beat fast. I believe I can bring something to the team and the club. I am a striker and believe I can prove myself by scoring goals but I will also work hard to help the defence as well. Report by Graham Magari Evening Times Support January 27 The Pyro Debate Safe Pyro Gains Support in Germany Report by Matthew Lindsay Support for legalising the use of pyrotechnics by fans at football matches is growing in Germany amid widespread unhappiness over heavy-handed policing and high financial penalties following a successful trial at a Hamburg game. Representatives of several Hamburg Ultras groups, under the watchful eye of trained pyrotechnicians and the local fire brigade, set off 10 smoke pots in front of the North Stand in the Volksparkstadion before a Bundesliga 2 fixture against Karlsruhe in February of 2020. The display, which was approved by both the German Football Association and local authorities, took place as both teams walked out onto the park ahead of kickoff, passed off without incident, and was declared a resounding success by those involved afterwards. This was a good first step, said Hamburg Chief Executive Bernd Hoffmann. We will now reflect on this with all networks and people involved, and then we'll see what the next steps might look like. It cannot be that something which is commonplace at every music concert is then not allowed at football. The experiment has not been repeated since, but earlier this season, Werder Bremen president Hubertus Hess Grunwald spoke in favour of allowing the use of flares and smoke canisters in a controlled environment in the German game. Hess Grunwald, whose club is involved in a legal dispute with the German Football Association and the Bremen state, over the high cost of policing games, is concerned about the treatment of ordinary supporters by police who are attempting to stop the use of pyrotechnics.
There is a form of police repression that we cannot approve of in our free democratic state, said Hess Grunwald, after searches of Werder fans who had travelled to the opening Bundesliga match of the season against Wolfsburg at the Volkswagen Arena in August caused a furore. I advocate a political corrective. We must talk about a controlled and legal use of pyrotechnics. The controlled burning of pyro could be a way out of an escalating spiral of repression and criminalization, he said. Werther tested so-called cold flares, which were developed by a Bronby fan in Denmark back in 2019 in the presence of security staff and the fire service. However, it was found the flares still emitted toxic gases and burned at temperatures of up to 500 degrees Celsius. There is currently a complete ban on the use of flares, fireworks and smoke bombs inside stadia in Germany, and breaches of the rules can lead to clubs being hit with large fines and other sanctions being imposed by the National Association. The 2020 trial arose out of widespread unhappiness at fines totaling 1,056,525 euros being handed during the 2018-19 season, and Hamburg, who were the worst offenders in the country, having to pay out 294,000 euros. Supporters of legal pyro argue that fewer injuries have been caused by flares and smoke bombs at matches than by the pepper spray that police have used on fans who have set them off in the stands. Meanwhile, football in Portugal appears to be heading in completely the opposite direction. The government there is working on legislation called the Legal Regime for Explosives and Dangerous Substances, and anyone who takes a pyrotechnic into a football match could face a jail term of up to five years if it is passed in Parliament. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Time Sport, January 27 Sean Maloney set for Wigan job. Report by Ewan Payton. Sean Maloney is in line to become the next manager of Wigan, according to a report. The former Hibs manager is a Latex number one candidate to replace Colo Touré at the helm of the championship club. The former Celtic defender was sacked last night after just nine games in charge at the DW Stadium. Now Wigan Today states that Maloney is the favourite for the vacant job. The 40-year-old was interviewed for the position before Toure's appointment and impressed those in power at the club. The report states that he will be handed control of the rebuild and the bid to avoid relegation to League One. Maloney enjoyed a successful playing stint at Wigan during their time in the Premier League, lifting the FA Cup back in 2013. He earned a glowing reputation as a coach working under Roberto Martinez as his assistant 
at the Belgium national team. One year ago, he opted to go it alone and take his first job in management with Hibs. He was only at Easter Road for four months though, in what turned out to be an ill-fated spell. While it was a disappointing 19 games in charge, it appears he will be offered a second chance to prove himself with Wigan. Meanwhile, Hibs are expected to lose both Kevin Nisbet and Ryan Porteous. The High Bees duo are on their way out of the Edinburgh club. Hibs have accepted offers from Millwall and Watford respectively for two of their best talents and it is believed that they will pocket around £3 million overall as part of the deals. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, January 27 SPT announced major subway update ahead of Old Firm Clash. Report by Morgan Carmichael SPT has announced changes to its upcoming plans for one-day subway closures. We previously reported that a series of one-day closures were to occur on Sundays starting mid-January to aid the continued rollout of the subway modernisation works. The subway announced that passengers should expect closures on February 12 and 26 and March 12, 19 and 26. However, SPT has now stated that the subway will remain open and operate as normal on Sunday, February 12 and Sunday, February 26 to accommodate football traffic. Rangers and Celtic will go head to head on February 26 at Hamden Park and Rangers are set to take on Partick Thistle on February 12 at Ibrox. The subway will shut at 8pm on Sunday February 12. Works that were set for both dates will be rescheduled for later in the year. Report by Morgan Carmichael Evening Times Sport January 30 Postikoglu reveals his conscious decision on VAR Report by Liam Bryce Ange Postikoglu says Celtic must continue overcoming any obstacles on their route to victory, revealing he has made a conscious decision not to comment on VAR. The Premiership champions restored a nine-point lead over Rangers at the league summit with a hard-earned 2-0 success at Tannadice. After a goalless opening 45 minutes, Jota's header and an Aaron Mui penalty secured the visitors' win. Celtic were initially awarded a spot kick in the first period when United keeper Mark Berrette collided with Kyogo Furuhashi, only for referee Don Robertson to reverse his decision after checking the pitchside VAR monitor. Postecoglou's side did eventually get a penalty for a handball against Kieran Freeman, but the Celtic manager was reticent to share his view on the first incident. He told BBC Sports Sound, I made a conscious decision a few weeks back not to sort of 
All I can do is control what my team does and the football we play. We've got to make sure we keep playing the football we are and put the result beyond anything that can interfere with that. That's what the lads were doing. It was tough to a certain extent. I thought we handled it well in difficult conditions. They were really disciplined in their structure, particularly in the first half. They worked really hard to plug the gaps we were trying to create. Having said that, we still got behind them on a number of occasions. We missed that final touch and quality. We started the second half really well, scored a couple goals, could have scored a couple more. A really strong performance. Jota is getting back to fitness and the levels we know he can get to. Aaron Mui has been outstanding since the break. In general, our defensive work was outstanding in terms of our pressure. We didn't allow them many sights on goals and that allows us to play our football. Evening Times Sport, January 30. Postecoglou jokes he is a lucky man. Report by Graeme McGarry. Ange Postecoglou paid tribute to midfield masters Aaron Mui and Callum McGregor after Celtic's 2-0 win over Dundee United, joking that he was a lucky man to have Mui in his team. Rangers manager Michael Beale had previously used the term to describe Postecoglou as he discussed the transfer expenditure available to Celtic manager and it clearly still sticks in his mind. So much so that he gave a pointed retort amid his praise of Mui when asked about the recent performances of the Australian midfielder who got his fifth goal in seven games from the penalty spot at Tannadice. He has been great since the break, said Postecoglou. I am the least surprised about that. It's one of these things in football that it literally landed at my doorstep. I knew what I was getting. Maybe you can use that term, I'm a lucky man. As for McGregor, the Celtic captain racked up his 400th appearance for the club in Tayside and Postecoglou says it is a privilege to work with him on a daily basis. He continued, He was brilliant. We are all pretty privileged to share a dressing room with him. The greatest compliment I can pay him is that he plays every game as if it's his first. He plays every game as if he's got everything to prove, even though he's done it all. He trains every day like he is the new kid in the building. He is an outstanding individual and a credit to himself and his family. And because of the way he is, I know there is so much more to come. It was great that the lads could get the victory today for the service he has given the club already. Postecoglou, meanwhile, said that Chief Executive Michael Nicholson was blanking his calls as the closing of the transfer window nears, so he was no clearer on the future of striker Georgios Giacomakis or any potential incoming business. He said, it's still sort of in the balance. There are only two days to go and Michael Nicholson's not taking my calls anymore, 
so I'm not really sure what's going on in the background. I assume everything will be resolved in the next couple of days, one way or another. As it stands right now, nothing is definite in terms of his next move. I'm comfortable with the squad. Even if I wasn't, Michael's not taking my calls anymore. I think he's telling me we are done. It is probably the strongest squad I have had since I've been here in terms of our depth and our quality. Report by Graham McGarry. Evening Time Sport, January 30. Rangers agree Nicholas Raskin deal. Report by Chris Jack. Rangers have agreed a deal to sign standard Liège midfielder Nicholas Raskin as Michael Beale continues his Ibrox rebuild this month. Beale secured his first signing of the January transfer window last Monday as Todd Cantwell completed a switch from Norwich City on a long-term deal and Raskin is now poised to follow the 24-year-old to Glasgow and finalise his move before the close of business on Tuesday night. Rangers saw two bids for Raskin rejected by Standard in recent days, but negotiations have now come to a conclusion as Beale gets set to land a key midfield target. The Belgian youth international has been heading for the exit door in Liège for some time after falling out of favour with former Celtic boss Ronnie Delia. Rangers have been long-time admirers of Raskin and earlier in the window, Beale said, A player I remember a lot from the time we played Standard Liège in October 2020 in the Europa League. He missed the first game against Rangers that night when Kamar Roof scored that amazing goal, but he played in the second leg. He is a player I am aware of, a very good player who is obviously out of contract in the summer and is attracting a lot of attention. There is an interest from us, but I am sure there is from a number of other clubs. That interest was stepped up in the days that followed but it has taken further rounds of talks over the weekend for all parties to come to an agreement. The captures of Cantwell and Raskin, a significant coup for Beale following an impressive start to life at Ibrooks that has seen him go unbeaten in his first 10 games as boss. I am extremely happy to welcome Todd to Rangers Beale said of the former Canaries playmaker, he is a player that is fully aligned to our playing style and we believe he will be a key player for the club in the coming seasons. I am looking forward to working with him on the pitch this week and integrating him into our fantastic football club. Rangers remain interested in a move for Swansea City forward Morgan Whitaker and could return to the table once again after seeing their initial advances rebuffed by the championship side. Midfielder Charlie McCann is the only first team departure so far this month after he clinched a move to Forest Green Rovers. Report by Chris Jack Evening Time Sport, January 30 
Willie Collum savaged over three controversial calls. Report by David Irvin. A former referee has brutally urged Willie Collum to get out of the limelight after three hugely controversial calls in the match between Rangers and St Johnston. The Whistler awarded Rangers a penalty for a handball, sent off Nicky Clark, and then cautioned Ryan Jack for a possible sending off challenge. And in the aftermath, former referee Des Roach has slammed the column's performance at Ibrox, stating, his best days are behind him. Colum first pointed to the spot at Ibrox when James Brown was ruled to have handled in the area. The ball did appear to strike the fullback on the arm after a deflection off Connor Goldson from close range. Later in the first half, Clark was shown a straight red card for a tackle on Jack. After a delay, Colum brandished a red card to reduce St Johnson to 10 men before the break. Further controversy ensued when minutes later Jack flew into a challenge on Adam Montgomery. Colum showed a yellow card before heading to the pitch side monitor to review the tackle. After a second look, Colum decided to back his original decision and stick with a caution. Roach insists all three decisions were incorrect and slated Colum as he insisted the official must be held accountable. He told Grubner Sport, The penalty call was wrong, in my view. James Brown could not possibly get out of the way when the ball hit his arm. It was never a red card when Nicky Clark challenged Ryan Jack and Jack should have been sent off for his challenge on Adam Montgomery. So there were three mistakes. Everyone can have a bad day at the office, a player or a referee. But when you continue to have bad days, then what happens? Do the SFA continue to appoint him? I think it is time he is held accountable, and that's up to the SFA and the referees committee. They have to decide what games he gets now. If it was me, I would take myself out of the equation. His best days are behind him. As I say, if I was making as many highlighted errors, I would take myself out of the limelight. Report by David Irvin That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Q Review and to tell your friends about our service.